Welcome to the Empowered Investor Podcast. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by the sheer volume of choices and voices telling you how to plan or invest for your future? With his straightforward approach, host Keith Matthews of Tulette Matthews and Associates cuts through the noise to help you create a winning action plan for you and your family. The decision-making framework discussed in this show can transform you and your investment experiences and will increase your odds of becoming financially secure. Learn more and subscribe today at tma-invest.com. Welcome to The Empowered Investor. My name is Keith Matthews, and I'm joined by my co-host, Marcelo Tabuata. Marcelo, how are you today? I'm good, Keith. How are you? I'm great, thank you. We're entering spring, so the weather's getting a little better. I know it's a great feeling for everybody. In today's show, Marcelo, we're going to be reviewing how to manage money, how to manage portfolios during turbulent times. There's enough, there's enough stuff going on in the world, whether it's inflation, whether it's conflict, that investors at large sort of ask questions, what should I be doing? Is there any major shift? How do I make money? Is there any opportunity? What can I do? So we're going to kind of go over that. But in particular, we're going to address whether tactical asset allocation strategies make sense. Today's show is going to be really dedicated around four themes, how best to manage portfolios during turbulent times, whether tactical portfolio moves are worthwhile to consider, We'll actually get deeper into it and define and review the performance of tactical asset allocation strategies. And then finally, we're going to have a series of recommendations as to how to sort of weather turbulence. Right. So Marcelo, why are we doing today's show? What's going on right now? Like you said, the market's very turbulent. We have a lot of stuff happening, not only uh, portfolio-wise, we have a major war going on. So it's always a question, right? Like uh, that investors and clients, well, clients, by the way, are not calling and, and panicking about anything right now, but it's just common in the industry for people to always ask the question, should I be doing something when things are volatile and turbulent? And I think that's a question that's prominent in every market environment, right? Whether it's going really well or it's going bad, but it's mostly present when when things are bad, like, should I be doing something with my portfolio? So like you said, we have this idea of tactical allocation and we have the data that shows that it doesn't work. Well, and I think it's a bit new right now too, is we've got this thing called inflation. Right, right. And most people are now realizing that it's not good. They're seeing inflation in Canada up around 6% year over year. In the United States, it's higher. In European countries, it's even higher. And they're now connecting the dots and they're seeing, wow, gas prices are up, food prices are up, rent is up. And we haven't really had to deal with inflation since the early to mid-90s. That's a long time. So I think the intuition for many people is, well, okay, well, if there's inflation coming, what should I do? There's got to be something I need to do right now in order to weave through this. And we've kind of gone through this period where we've had some major market corrections in the last 20 years. But when you've got these initiatives or these concepts coming out that people aren't used to seeing, the natural inclination is, well, I need to do something. A hundred percent. So that's what we thought. We dedicate today's show to tactical asset allocation strategies. And there's a reason for that. Tactical asset allocation strategies are either mutual funds or strategies that are given the liberty to move money at their own discretion. So they're kind of given the liberty to say, look, if you want to get out of bonds, get out of bonds. If you want to overload equities, if you want to overload certain equity regions, they've almost got carte blanche to do what they want. 
And that sounds appealing from an investor's perspective because you say, wow, they should be able to find the opportunities and somehow make me money. Right, right. So you were in the wholesaling business, Marcelo. You worked at Templeton many years ago. Give us sort of the inside view, not necessarily about what Templeton did, but what did you see in the mutual fund industry? Right. So you find there's this like specific type of funds. It mostly happens in fund of funds. And for example, you would have a fund of funds, which is like you're pretty much buying a portfolio wrapped into a fund. And just for argument's sake, let's say it's 60-40, right? So the 60-40 was the long-term asset allocation. Hang on, Marcelo. Hang on. When you say 60-40, 60% of the portfolio could be allocated to equities and 40% to fixed income. Correct. That's what we would call the long-term asset allocation. I think we're all familiar with that concept. But also within that same mandate, the portfolio manager of that portfolio had the leeway to have some tactical asset allocation. And what that means is that if he thought, for example, that the Canadian equity market was going to do better than the US market or the international market on a given year, he could overweight that slice of the portfolio and underweight the other ones. And he could do the same thing with bonds. And then within the bonds, he could do the same thing with short-term and long-term bonds and so on and so forth. They do have bandwidths as to how much they can move, but the premise is simple. It's like if they see an opportunity that they think is going to benefit the long-term return of the portfolio, they are given the permission to go ahead and do it. That's what it is. It sounds amazing. It sounds exactly what I want as an investor. (laughs) You know, right. and, and when I started in my career, if you go back to the mid 90s, for the first 15 years, these types of strategies were always nicknamed opportunity funds. It sounds amazing. We're going to look for opportunities and we're going to execute. And, dear unit holder, that's our responsibility. And it's a marketing ploy. It sounds amazing. It sounds exactly what you would want if you're kind of worried about how do you manage money through good times and turbulent times. Right. And to be fair to the audience, like this doesn't happen only with mutual funds. Your investment advisor can make these decisions for you and say, we'll put more money into a Canadian fund and overweight the portfolio there because we think it's going to do better. You know, a stock picker can do the same. You have hedge funds in the industry. So this is not something like that's exclusive to a fund of funds in the mutual fund industry. It can happen all across the board. Well, of course. And it also starts from the investor. You can be an investor thinking that this is what we should be doing. We should be able to move things around you know, you hear about in the newspapers, there's always suggestions. The industry, unfortunately, is guilty of implying that this is how money should be managed. So let's get into some of the data. Our hypothesis is the following in this show. If it's easy to make money moving things around during good times or turbulent times, then tactical asset allocation strategies should, in fact, outperform regular buy, hold, and rebalance strategy. So that's what we're using as a premise here, right? So Morningstar came up with a report that was recently released mid-summer of last year where they went over 20 years of reviews of tactical asset allocation strategies versus balanced funds, which were perceived as more buy and hold. Tell us about that report, Marcelo, and what were the findings? So I think that's a good one because it's really buying into the premise of 
can they do something when something bad happens? So when we have 20 years of data, we have the great financial crisis of 2008. We have other market dips that we've had. We had the coronavirus dip that we had in March of 2020. So all those things are involved in that. So there's really like no argument there, right? Yeah. So what we like about looking at this is we'll say they had all the turbulence they needed to make money. Correct. So when we look at the different time periods, there's three-year periods, five-year, 10-year, 15, and 20 years. So people can't say, oh, this was a short-term thing. We're not doing it justice. No, like this is like, it goes back 20 years, right? So if we look at the three-year number, the tactical allocation bundle of funds had a return of 8.3. When you look at a regular plain vanilla balance fund, it was 10.4. That's clear, you know, we see that the plain vanilla fund beat the one that's moving around and trying to predict things. The tactical asset allocation strategy had the pandemic to move around. Correct, correct. So again, this is the biggest and best mutual fund companies or banks that have these strategies failing to outperform a steady-as-she-goes portfolio. Right. So the five-year number is 8.3 versus 9.8. Again, the plain vanilla fund beating the tactical funds. 10-year, you have 6.1 versus 8.9. Again, the plain vanilla fund winning there. 15-year, you have 7.1 versus 5.3. And the worst of all, 20 years, 5.6 for the tactical allocation funds and 6.8 for the balances. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot for the 20-year, but when you think about compounding returns year over year, that small difference is humongous, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And when you mentioned the 15-year, it was the tactical that got 5.3% and the balance that got 7 So across those five periods, tactical lagged buy, hold, and rebalance in each period by anywhere from 150 basis points, so 1.5% to even as high as 2 2.5%. And part of that can be described because the asset allocation strategies have higher fees. And they have higher fees because they basically promise this outperformance. So if you're going to come and say, we got the secret sauce, we're going to want to charge more for that secret sauce. But the reality of it is they don't have the secret sauce. Mm. Yeah, it's not Mother Teresa running the fund, right? Yeah. (laughs) So the other thing that was very telling about this strategy, this report from Morningstar is that the tactical asset allocation strategies were the 203 winning strategies. So those are the ones that survived. So there's a little bit of survivalship bias context around here. They were actually able to find the 100 funds that did not survive, and usually the funds that don't survive have even worse performance. They have worse performance, and then they kind of get canceled out. They get eliminated by the fund company. So when you actually include those funds that didn't survive, Marcelo, over the 10-year period, what happened to that new tactical asset allocation return number? So when you include the funds that disappeared, so we including the survivorship bias, the 10-year return goes from 6.1 to 5.2. So it's even worse. I'm guessing, like, I don't need to look at the numbers, but I'm guessing that that's the case for all the other five time periods as well. Yeah. I mean, survivorship bias is a huge concept. And it's based on the idea that if you're going to look at average returns of a group of strategies, what you really need to look at is not just the ones that are still in business, but you need to look at the strategies that have been canceled, closed, but have these track records. And that's what this is doing. So when you add 
those strategies back into the average, it brings the average down. So now you've got a 10-year return that's lagging by three full percent. If a balanced strategy got 9%, the tactical asset allocation got 5.2. Those are atrocious numbers. Oh, yeah. And especially, you know, I, again, people say, oh, 10-year, you know, it's, it's not that big of a difference when you look at the absolute number. But when you look at the 10-year period and you compound that every year, if you look at it in a graph, it's actually preposterous, the difference. Yeah. So I remember walking into banks and we're not sort of picking on banks here, but banks would have, for example, uh, the top mutual funds that they would promote in a big poster as you walk in. You used to see by our tactical asset allocation strategy. You don't see it as much anymore. And I, I think at least kudos to the organizations. They're realizing it doesn't really add that much value. And maybe we shouldn't market them as much as we did 10, 15 years ago, but they still do exist. So why are we talking about it also? Why do we reference this? We reference this because at the end of the day, if these large strategies can't do it, investors should not think that their advisor can do it. And they shouldn't maybe pursue the strategy. And we speak about this often with our existing clients. And we talk about, look, we're going to hold long-term strategic asset mixes. We're going to balance, rebalance through, which means small haircuts to positions. But we're not going to make these massive shifts because it just doesn't work. No. No, but you had a, an interesting study. I mean, we have the Morningstar report, which is more up to date, but in your FFG group, you also had a study back in the day that covered the 2008. So let's go through that, those numbers if you want. Yeah, I mean, essentially, this would have been a report that our study group wrote in 2012. And the basis in the report was that structure, portfolio structure trumps trading. So it was trading, active trading. So we reviewed stock pickers versus general indices, and of course, we found that general indices over short, medium, long-term periods outperformed the stock pickers. We reviewed the tactical asset allocation strategies in Canada. And it was the same thing as the U.S. report that we just alluded to, that from 2002 to 2012, over 10-year period, the tactical asset allocators lagged the balance strategies. And so I think what's telling there is they had two moments of turbulence and difficult markets. They had the 2002-3-4 sort of decline and rebound, and they also had the 2008-2009 credit crisis. Yeah, and that was huge. They had all the opportunity in the world to show that they could actually provide and find opportunities and somehow know when to get out of the market, when to get in the market, and they couldn't do it. So, you know, it doesn't really matter which time frame we look at. The data is pretty consistent. As a group, People cannot predict the future. So should we be surprised with these results, Marcelo? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think based on all the evidence we have, I mean, we've discussed this over the many episodes that we've done, that the evidence supports this idea that it's really hard to consistently beat the market. And you may be able to do it one or two years, but consistently over long periods of time, it's really hard. And it's tough for people to wrap their hands around that, you know, because we're wired to think that if we work hard and we're qualified regarding certain area, whether that's training for soccer or training for a career or an exam, we're always wired to think that the harder we work and the more qualified we are, the better our results will be. But unfortunately, in the markets, because at the end of the day, it's millions of people disagreeing in the market, right? And that's what sets prices. So it's really hard to 
outperform the market based on this dynamic that we have. So it's really hard to wrap our heads around this idea that in the markets, just because we're very smart and we know and we've studied, it doesn't mean we're going to outperform consistently. That's right. A hundred percent. I mean, essentially, in order for these strategies to work, you have to be able to do a couple different things. You have to be able to predict markets. You have to be able to predict what will happen. And then secondly, you kind of have to have usually two decisions correct. The first decision is to exit something that theoretically you feel is going to continue to go down. And then you have to get into something that you theoretically is going to go up. So those are two decisions that are correct. And, you know, if I look at today's context, it's natural for investors to think, okay, we have a stock market that's done extremely well. We're coming out of a, hopefully coming out of a pandemic. Uh, we have a massive global conflict. We have incredible disruptions to supply. We have labor shortages that people have never seen before. We have dislocation everywhere. We have people talking about a potential recession because if interest rates go up, that's going to slow the economy and maybe we've got one around. We've got all these things that people are throwing out there and it's natural for people to say, okay, so how do I move my portfolio around to take advantage of all this? Right. Essentially, we're going to say you just can't do it. No, exactly. And the data shows that you can't do it. And these are all the things that we'd like to sort of bring out in today's show. Now let's switch gears a little bit. We talked about tactical asset allocation. Marcel, let's talk a little bit about market timing. You know, we've spoken about this before in previous shows, why it's so hard to do it, but we've got some new evidence and some new data that's interesting. And we thought we'd bring it up now because a classic environment could be for some investors to think, well, look at all this turbulence. Should I get out of stocks right now? Right. So talk to us about what happened if you missed the best five days last year. So if you stayed in the market and you didn't do anything, your returns in the S&P 500 would have been 18%. If you missed the five best trading days in that calendar year, your returns would have been minus 18%. So that is a huge difference. Wow. So five days, that made 36% difference. Right. And that's what you were saying before. Like You don't only have to be right when you exit. You also have to be right when you get back. And the problem is that a lot of these days, it's not like they're consecutive days, that you're going to get the worst days at a certain period of time, and then everything is good. It's like they're intertwined, right? Like you have two good days, three bad days. You have a few good days, and then another bad day. And they're all like intertwined together. So unless you can have those calls right, which nobody can, it's really hard. And you're going to get hurt, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the guys who were doing research for today's podcast, Lawrence and Jackson, who are part of the advisory group, brought some really cool, really cool research to us, Marcelo and one of them, I think we've nicknamed the Christmas tree, which is this chart and this table of different periods that show the worst days in the market, which would be highlighted in red, and then the best days, which would be highlighted in green. So the worst trading day, and then the best trading day. And what we see here are often the best trading days are clumped right beside the worst trading days. And so what that means essentially is, yeah, you could get out of the market by making a certain call and you could feel good about, oh, I just missed the bad days, the red days, but it's almost for sure that you're also going to miss some of the best days. Yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. You feel great. You make a bold portfolio decision. You then go, oh, 
a sigh of relief. I don't have to worry about that. I'm kind of feeling stress-free. But what you fail to recognize is you're also missing what potentially are the biggest lift days. And when they come, they come fast. And you won't see those. And that's what I was saying before, right? Like that's never going to change. I know it's a big statement, but that's never going to change because it's human beings making decisions on a day-to-day basis. And that's what the market is. And it's impossible that everybody will agree at the same time. Otherwise, the markets won't work. Absolutely. 100%. And the other thing that the guys brought up, which I thought was interesting, was a study which shows in the last 25 years, again, so the study ended at the end of 2021. So literally three months ago. Yeah, that's a great study. Yeah. If you had invested $100,000 25 years ago in the Russell 3000, so the broadest US benchmark you could find, mm-hmm. at the end of that 25 years, your $100,000 is worth just over a million, million thirty-six. So it's up tenfold over 25 years. However, if you had missed just one single period, the best 90-day return period, and that period, incidentally, would have ended June 30th, 2020. So let's just say you missed the pandemic market appreciation. So you did everything right for 24 years. And you missed that one period because somehow you made a bold move about the world has never seen this. I need to do something bold. And you missed that return. Your total return was reduced by 33%. Wow. 90 days out of 25 years. And that's 90%. So you just missed. And I've often said that to individuals, like you could do everything right for a decade. You could do everything right for 15 years. But if you muck up or you screw up somehow because you're making this massive, bold asset allocation shift, it's going to be costly. Yeah. I mean, with the bad decision, you can change the whole trajectory of your portfolio. And that's what's sad about it. Yeah. So, well, you know, if we start thinking about wrapping up, Marcelo, the reason we did today's show was I think we're in that context right now where with some of the geopolitical events that are going on in Europe and some of the inflationary pressures that everybody now is becoming conscious of, I think it's human nature for people to say, well, what do we do? We got to do something. That's what the premise of today's show was about, which essentially is No, the tactical moves don't work. They don't make sense. Stay the course, keep your portfolio allocations in place, rebalance, make sure you're comfortable with what you view as short, medium, and long-term. What are your main takeaways, Marcelo, when you start thinking about what we've discussed today? What advice would you give the listeners? Well, you know, to me, my biggest takeaway is I cannot help but think about the growth path of the portfolio. Like It's all about being consistent. My takeaway is consistency is the winner. And just by staying consistent with your asset allocation, even though you may have the urge to do something, we have the data and it doesn't work. So if you're consistent, I think it pays off in the long term and it has huge implications for people because it's like, forget about the portfolio. Yeah, it's like it's, we're talking about numbers in a portfolio, but it could have huge implications into a person's retirement or paying for a child's education. So just a bad decision could have like lifelong impact in your decisions, right? That's great. So consistency is key, 100%. On a slightly lighter note, the way I'd like to end it, and I've ended this with some of our clients in conversations, and we did not come up with this quote, but I think it's so incredibly powerful. And the quote goes along the following lines, a portfolio is like a bar of soap. 
the more you handle it, the smaller it gets. I love it. And it's so telling. You know, we've tried to figure out, it's sort of plastered on the internet. I think we've boiled it down to a gentleman by the name of Darcy Howe from Merrill Lynch that coined that. So kudos to Darcy for this incredibly visual concept because we think it's very powerful. So with that, Marcelo, thank you so much for your comments today. It's a very timely show, very timely topic. To our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you in the next show. Thank you and see you in two weeks. You've been listening to the Empowered Investor Podcast hosted by Keith Matthews. Please visit tma-invest.com to subscribe to this podcast, learn more about how his firm helps Canadian investors, or to request a complimentary copy of The Empowered Investor. Investments and investing strategies should be evaluated based on your own objectives. Listeners of this podcast should use their best judgment and consult a financial expert prior to making any investment decisions based on the information found in this podcast.